COVID vaccine myths are everywhere, so today we are going to do some major myth-busting and set the record straight. I am Dr. Natasha Burgert, and in a minute, you're also going to hear the voice of my good friend, Dr. Nicole Baldwin. This pod is edited from our live Instagram show that we like to call Masks Off Live, a show where two longtime friends who happen to be pediatricians share science and practical parenting advice that you can use today. In this episode, we are going to highlight some of the most common COVID vaccine myths that we are hearing from our families in our office. We're also going to share some insights into how you can do your best to spot misinformation and be good consumers of the media. If you want to learn more and listen to the after hours part of the show, you'll find the complete unedited edition on our IGTV channels. And try to join us live next time where we will be answering your questions. We will post on our channels the next time that we will be on Instagram. Let's get started. You want me to play a song real quick so we can get started because we have so much to talk about. Yes, walk up song. Walk up song. I thought it was like good for busting myths. Like, yeah, that's a good one. Bringing back like. I like how you bring back the Saturday night vibes. I think that that's good. I mean, I, I like my young MC from back in the day. I don't even know what year that was. That was probably when we were in like junior high or some craziness. Like I'm, that. I'm pretty sure I was in either elementary school or preschool. Oh, now there. <laughs> You're the same age as me. So let's not go there. <laughs> well, another Saturday night party here, friends. Yay! What are you drinking? Uh, this is Pinot Grigio from a patient who was very sweet and dropped some wine off on my doorstep the other day, like a super sleuth. My husband's like, there's a pickup truck sitting in front of our house. What is happening? <laughs> and they were just kind and brought yeah. it by. So the best. That's the best. Okay. What are you drinking? Um, I'm actually, I actually brought it. I'm drinking a fancy, uh, a fancy Italian tonight. We were gifted some delicious, delicious steaks for Christmas. Okay. Uh, and we made them last night. So this was a little bit of the leftover from last night. Nice. Um, so thank you, Maddie, for the steaks. They were delicious. The theme of today's show is COVID vaccine myth busting. And I think we can, I mean, we can start by saying we're two vaccinated people. Uh, I've already gotten my second dose, feeling fine. Obviously, you'll, you'll get yours this week. Yep. Um, Kevin got his was doing fine. So next time and we got talk. two different we got two different vaccines. So right. you got Pfizer, I got Moderna. And so that's, you know, they're both great. They're both very good, very efficacious. Yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah. not gonna, not gonna, not gonna mince words between those two. The first thing I feel like we should just jump off the bat and talk about, because I did a little bit of like how to spot misinformation, because I think that I want people to hear that before, you know, I don't want to leave that to the end unless you, well, unless you want to. Because I think, I think that's what's important about, so this episode, you know, Natasha and I are going to talk about some myths that you guys have asked us to talk about and some myths that we've seen. But what's more important is that we want you guys to be educated and seeing something and 
you know, when something seems like it's not quite right, we want you to be able to look up the information and for you to be able to kind of figure that out on your own, because we're not always going to be here, right? And so a um, couple things that I just want you guys to realize is that, you know, number one, you want to know your source of where that information is coming from. And I actually found today my rabbit hole that I went down was finding a couple really good sites that allow you to know what type of source you're looking at. So there is a website called, let's see, Media Bias Fact Check. Literally it's called MediaBiasFactCheck.com. And it lists a, so many different websites. It's searchable. You can search, but it also, you can look by left-leaning, left-center, right-leaning, right-center. There's a whole a list of conspiracy pseudoscience type things. So when you see a... Um, Wait a minute, just to clarify, I'm not familiar with that. I'm so glad you shared that. Is, do, do I look up, I'm looking up, I'm looking up the source there or I'm looking up the conspiracy there? The source. The so source. you are, so if you see a headline... So if, I want, if I see something from Time Magazine, I can go and search Time Magazine in yes. this database. And yes. then what does it, and then it gives me a, like a gradient of. Yeah, well, it, it kind of, it, it will rank them a little bit based on, uh, you know, what their um, bias potentially is. It can also rank them on, you know, again, it lists a bunch of like, if they tend to put out conspiracy theories or pseudoscience, there's a whole list of pro-science sites. So you can kind of get an idea if, if you're seeing something that this headline, first of all, the other thing is that if something like triggers you or makes you angry or kind of like is like baiting you, that is a clear sign that you need to step back, take a breath and like look it up because a lot of the misinformation out there is designed to do just that because the people writing this know, yeah, that you're gonna, you're gonna look at it, you're gonna share it. And please, for the love, do not share things on social media without reading the article. Do not just share for a headline, because that is how misinformation is like going all over the place. And then we're sitting here trying to have to combat all of this, because everyone's just like, you know, and we're going to get into like the whole infertility thing, but it's just like that, that clickbait headline, like, oh, COVID vaccine causes infertility. It doesn't, but you see that and people spread it. And um, so it's important when you see something like that to look at the source. So and media bias factor. Media, from a person who's in the media too, like there's, there's, there's people who, th that's entirely their job. Like their job is to use your psychology against you yeah, and to know exactly how your brain works based on what you've looked at before, what, who you follow on Facebook, who you mm -hmm. follow on Instagram, to mm -hmm. serve up the content that you want to see. Right. Because if you click it, they make money. You are the right. product. You are right. the product. Right. And definitely you want to look at if other people are sharing this too because if or like other news sources are um are are spreading the same thing um you want to look at that you want to be careful with images images can be doctored images can be photoshopped so don't just like take an image at face value um all of those things 
Another chart that I found, if people are interested, and this is going to be backwards for y'all, but if you can see this, it's called the Media Bias Chart, and it is from Ad Fontes Media, A-D-F-O-N-T-E-S media.com. Um, and when I'm finished talking, I'll put that in the comments, but, um, it, it ranks, it ranks a bunch of different media sources based on their reliability. So the higher reliability or up higher, the lower reliability are down here and on their bias. So the left leaning bias and the right leaning bias. So something could be reliable, but if it's biased, you also want to think about that too. So this is a cool graphic to look at that. And then the other one is a good, just searchable tool to look at. So both of those, when you see a headline that kind of makes you like, you know, raises some flags inside your head, you need to look it up um, just to investigate for yourself before you share that stuff. All right, that's all I got to say about that. Myth number one, what you got? Well, you mentioned infertility, let's go. You want me to keep talking? Um, okay. Infertility. So that is a big one. We got lots of questions about that. And so why was that even a thing? So I don't, when December, maybe I, November, I don't know when this came out. Someone put out a story saying that um, these two scientists, one of who used to work for Pfizer, said that the um, antibody that was generated in the COVID vaccine was similar to a protein um, that is in a, the placenta. So the protein in the placenta is called syncytion one or syn yeah, whatever. Anyways, I can't pronounce it, but um, that is a protein in the placenta. And so what this story was claiming was that the spike protein that antibody that was generated was going to attack this protein and the placenta and therefore make it um, impossible to conceive or that women would have miscarriages. So A, this is not true. How do we know this is not true? Okay, couple things. Number one, um, the the two, the spike protein and this syncytion one, since, since, yeah, syncytion one, have maybe a, a few like nucleotide sequences that are the same, but not enough to make an antibody to the spike protein go and attack this, okay? And how do we also know that? We know that because women who are pregnant and have gotten COVID form antibodies to the what? What, Natasha? I think that's the spike protein. The spike protein, right? So are those women having miscarriages at higher rates than anybody else? I don't think so. They are not. Are those women not able to get pregnant? No, they are not. They are not. So, so it doesn't even make sense. So it's the same antibody that you make after you've had a COVID infection. So it's, it's just not even, it, it's not based in any fact. End of story. So not going to cause infertility. Also, the other thing, there were a small number of women in the Pfizer trial that got pregnant during the trial. 
Um, some of them were vaccinated in the vaccine group. I think about half were in the vaccine group, about half were not. There was about 23 total that got pregnant. The only person, there was one person in that that trial that had a miscarriage and that person was in the placebo group. So did not get vaccine. All of the women in the group that got vaccine, that got pregnant by accident, I don't know that they were trying because they weren't supposed to being in the trial, they were able to get pregnant, didn't have a problem. So infertility, non-issue. That is a myth. That is a myth that we just busted. Busted. Now, I've actually had, I've had two moms in my small little practice. I've had two moms get pregnant between first COVID shot and second COVID shot. So that's my personal anecdote. So they were laughing about the infertility. We were laughing about the infertility. And, and that's essentially what happened in the Pfizer trial. That's right. the same thing that happened. Yeah, so. Right, 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 right. Now, I think that that would also be applicable when um, you're trying to conceive. So I've had some moms say, do I wait to try to conceive, you know, Oh, you can wait to try and conceive until whenever you would like to. Mm -hmm. I think it's irrelevant about the dosage. We know that women and I have, we have had in the Kansas City area, pregnant women um, have significant complications from, from COVID. Yep. Um, so uh, your risk of being a pregnant person and COVID in I think in the flat out numbers is more than getting the vaccine at this point. So right. at this point, most of my healthcare friends who have already been in phase one or who are pregnant are still getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously their personal choice that they've talked about with their doctor, mm -hmm. I would support their decision. Mm -hmm. uh, also breast our breastfeeding colleagues mm -hmm. uh, are also getting the vaccine without mm -hmm. hesitation. I would all, I've also had a couple of moms ask me about pumping and dumping that they've, that they've read that after they get the vaccine, they need to pump and dump for a certain amount. And biologically, that, that doesn't make sense. No. Um, mRNA is not stable enough to be able to get into your breast milk. And even if it were, like, you've got stomach acid, that little baby would like drink it and it would totally disintegrate. So <laughs> it would explode. Yeah. Uh, so but what? Could so, potentially you don't worry about pumping and dumping. Uh, yeah, no. And what could potentially get in the breast milk are antibodies, which are awesome. Like that's okay, what you fun. want. I think we are too, and and they're looking at that. Um, there's I think a women... really nice study in, uh, and I can I'll post later. There's or you're faster at that. I don't even know how you put the comments in there, Nicole. The uh, um, there's a really nice study uh, up in New York for breastfeeding moms to refer to if they'd like to donate their milk after they've been vaccinated right. for it to be evaluated. Yeah, but so just so you know, because we did get a lot of questions about lactation or breastfeeding moms. So there is there is nothing um, that at this point, again, the, the challenge, the concern is that these vaccines were not studied in pregnant and lactating mothers. And so we, as the scientific community, do not like to say something is safe without having evidence because we like evidence, evidence-based medicine. But sometimes, especially when you're in the middle of a deadly pandemic where we know, like Natasha said, that women who are pregnant have higher complications. Pregnancy is actually listed by the CDC as a high-risk, you know, 
-hmm. it's not a disease, but as high risk for COVID. So we have to look at that and kind of go risk benefit. And so when it comes to lactation, we don't have moms who are breastfeeding who have been COVID positive stop breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. We still allow them to breastfeed. So again, it's the same thing. It's that spike protein, you're getting an antibody to that. So if you've had COVID, and that antibody's getting in your breast milk versus if you've gotten a vaccine and that antibody's getting your breast milk. Either way, maybe your baby's getting some antibodies and that's pretty awesome. That's mm -hmm. what we want. So that's what we want. We yeah. want. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Um, let's talk about when you get the vaccine. Does this give you permission, Dr. Baldwin, to not socially distance, still have dinner parties, uh, and not wear a mask? No, it does not. Then why the hell am I going to get the vaccine if I still have to wear a mask? That's a great question. Why don't, do you want to answer that? You can I know, I know you did that. You did the rabbit hole because there's a lot of debate about this. There really is. Even in the medical community. Recommendations on this are going to change drastically over the next 12 months. Yeah. And I think here's the, here's the challenge is we don't have the data yet because when the studies were done, they didn't look at asymptomatic carriage of COVID. So for right now, everybody is being like uber cautious, as we have been, and saying, you may still acquire SARS-CoV-2 in your nasopharynx. And while you won't get disease because you've had the vaccine, you could potentially pass it. And so that's why social distancing, masking, things like that are so important. Yeah. So, and I think this question gets a little bit more complicated because this is. <laughs> yes, because Emmy's asking, Dr. Natasha, what if everybody at the dinner no, party is vaccinated? No, that's true. I think this comes back to the premise of what we've talked about, I think, on Mass Off Live since day one. And that is that your personal risk depends on your community risk, period. Like you getting vaccinated is just one little part of the saga of how safe you are going to be when you get vaccinated. No vaccine, no medical intervention is 100% perfect. And we have to remember too, that we still do not know for the SARS-CoV-2 virus, what the viral load is that is going to get you infected. Especially when we're talking about a new variant that's slowly spreading over the United States called B117. So if you, for example, only have to get one particle of B117 in your nose in order, to get, in order to get infected, you're really still going to increase your risk of getting COVID by not doing other precautions, even if you're vaccinated, because your community rate is going to be particularly high. Um, so, it's a, so it's a complex problem that will, ch that will change over time because our community rates should change over time, right? Like the more people yeah. get vaccinated, you should be able to do, uh, the community rates should drop down, okay? Mm -hmm. And then we should be able to manage that a little bit better and have these other protocols start to be released uh, from us and, and more normalcy start to remain. But especially when you're talking about a literal handful, like three to four million people that have gotten two, two shots in their arm and in the United States, there's just simply not enough in order for everyone, even if you've gotten vaccinated, to get, um, to get protection. 
um, with such a which su with such a simple intervention as masking. I think the the premise of this question when I when I get it in my office is, I've been vaccinated. Can I go visit grandma? Or grandma's been vaccinated. Can I go visit now that grandma's protected? Okay, mm -hmm. um, that's the premise of the story that I'm typically hearing. I would remind all of us, if you do have the option to get the vaccine, first of all, please get it. Second of all, it's, it, it's not like it sh got shot in your arm and then you have this like bulletproof armor. It takes time for your body to develop protective antibodies. And then they, after the priming dose, usually a couple of weeks, and then after the booster dose, then you get a, then that's where you really bump up to that 95 plus percent protection. Yeah. So, so, so when you get that first shot, it's the beginning of an immunological journey, if you will, <laughs> for a few, quite a few weeks in order to be- Is it an Inca Trail type journey? It's Inca Trail. It's straight up Inca Trail, man. You got to keep on pressing on and you still put one foot in front of the other, man. Okay. And so you've got to keep going. So you're not going to put the shot in your arm and then go to grandma's house. And then I want everybody to kind of think about the different, to flip-flop the risk. So if grandma and grandpa are vaccinated and the rest of the family who wants to visit the vaccinated grandma and grandpa, I'm going to assume, even assume, Nicole, that they have gotten, grandma and grandpa have gotten two doses of vaccine. It's a month later, okay? We know, we would assume that grandma and grandpa have that comfy, that comfy cushion of 95% protection to against SARS-CoV-2 virus and you have a you have a, you have a family that wants to go into grandma and grandpa's house and visit them what are you telling your families that they still should wear a mask they still should wear a mask when you have a individuals who are vaccinated who want to go see grandma and grandpa who may not be vaccinated what are you telling your patients that they still should wear a mask. And they still should wear a mask. I think everybody at this point is really familiar with the Swiss cheese model, right? Yeah. Like, like the vaccine is one slice of cheese. It's a good, like it's a really good French brie, maybe some, maybe with a nice crust on top, a little bit, a little bit of fig. Like it's a nice layer of cheese. Okay. Yeah. I like the crappy Swiss that you get from the deli. Okay. So it's a super nice cushy layer, but especially when we are talking about more infectious variants. If we have time at the end, we can, we can talk about the variants a little bit more now that we know more about them, but uh, it still doesn't take away our responsibility from, mm -hmm. from still doing the precautions that we know keep people safe. You, Nicole, come over to my house one month after you have had your vaccine. I have had my vaccine. Kevin has had his vaccine. My, and let's say theoretically, my kids are gone. I don't know where they would go since they've been in the house since March 13th. <laughs> but, um, let's just say hypothetically, they can go to the basement or something. Are you gonna still wear a mask into my house? If you ask me to. Right, that's where it starts to get tricky, right? But if you don't ask me to, I mean, it's the thing, like, I feel like I don't need to, right, at that point. No, I don't think There's so. There's got to be a point where we can say people don't have to wear masks anymore. So if the vaccine works as, as well as it does, remember that 
I think I think about it like this. So correct me if I'm wrong, Nicole, because I'd love to know what you're explaining to your patients. But when SARS-CoV-2 comes into your respiratory tract, it has all of the little spike proteins that we keep talking about a million times, right? The spike protein goes to the ACE2 receptor that's on the edge of our cell. It attaches like a lock and key. And then SARS-CoV-2 squirts all of its RNA into, this, into our host cell, <laughs> replicates, replicates, takes over, kills that cell, explodes, and then there's more virus, okay? <laughs> more spike protein to go nuts on the ACE juice, okay? That's how it infects us. So how does the vaccine work? How do natural immunity antibodies work? It coats that sp spike protein and changes the shape of the key. So now the key does not fit in the lock, right? So if the key does not fit in the lock, then the virus cannot replicate. A virus has to have a host. It has to have a host to replicate it. It can't replicate itself. So if I've been vaccinated and I've been vaccinated well, and I've gotten a good robust response, even if I am carrying some of the virus in my nose, it's that key is not gonna fit in the lock and not gonna replicate. So let's say hypothetically, I am shedding a few particles I would shed them to you as another vaccinated person who's going to see that, respond to it, change the key. It's not going to fit in a lock. Yeah. So if you and I are in a room together after we've both been fully vaccinated with two doses and waited 28 days after that, I'm just enjoying a glass of wine with you, friend. Cheers, my girl. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Yep. Yep. So good question. Somebody asked if mRNA is a spike protein, does it involve a biological catalyst? I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, but that kind of digresses us into the, how does this vaccine made and does it alter your DNA? Maybe. What do you think, Natasha? You want to talk about that? We well, want to talk does, about that? Does the mRNA vaccine change your DNA, Dr. Baldwin? It does not. And let me show but you. But it's I RNA. Why I have another I have another thing I printed out and I know that it's going to be backwards for you friends but you can figure this out. I have confidence in you. So here is a we're going to go back to high school biology, my friends. Who remembers high school biology? I loved high school biology. Shocker. Shocker. So here we have us a cell, right? We've got a nucleus of a cell. We've got some cytoplasm of a cell. This here, my friends, is our DNA. DNA is what is our genome. That's what encodes all of our proteins, right? So there's this process from DNA going to this mRNA. This is our mRNA, not the mRNA from the vaccine mRNA, okay, this is called transcription, and this happens inside the nucleus. But then, are there ribosomes in the nucleus, Dr. Natasha? I don't know. I haven't had high school biology in a really long time, Dr. Baldwin. Are there ribosomes in the nucleus? There are not. <gasps> what? Then I can't, what? Then I, then what? I can't wait, wait, it gets better. It gets better. Hang on. So the mRNA has to go outside of the nucleus to go see these little things. These are called ribosomes. Those are what translate our mRNA into proteins, okay? Everything in our body is made up of proteins, everything. So these get translated into these proteins 
and then do what they need to do, whatever the protein's for. So when we're looking at the vaccine, the two vaccines that have EUA that are mRNA vaccines, so what is happening is these are coming in with these little lipid nanoparticles. They're, the mRNA is living inside of those. And it's coming into our cells, into the cytoplasm, and releasing this mRNA. And our ribosomes are like, sweet, there's more mRNA here. It's a party. Let's see what else we get to make today. So our ribosomes translate that mRNA into the spike protein because that's what it's coded for. And then it takes that spike protein and it presents it on the outside of our cells. So is there DNA in our cytoplasm? Is there DNA outside of our cells? No. So remember, our DNA lives here. So it's not getting anywhere near our DNA. There's a big old fence that has a code that the mRNA from the vaccines doesn't know, and it can't get to the cytoplasm. So it does not alter your DNA. No matter what anybody tells you, it cannot. That's right. That is my story, and I'm sticking to it. 100%. I love the graph. Thank you for the graph. And I think this myth that it does alter the DNA comes from Moderna because Moderna knows gene therapy. Moderna was a gene therapy company before it started pumping out this life-saving cure that we are calling a vaccine. So when they made gene therapy and used the same technology with mRNA and, gene and their lipid bilayer, do you know what they had to do in order to get the mRNA? into the nucleus and do their gene therapy? This is your pop quiz, Dr. Baldwin. What did they have to what do? Did they have to, what did they have to do to the human to get that mRNA into the nucleus? I don't know. They have to use an injector that gives an electric pulse to mm. break down that nucleus wall and shimmy it enough that the, M that the RNA can sneak in. So if you were vaccinated by just a normal needle that does not have an electronic pulse, I Or a microchip. No microchips. No microchips, <laughs> no electric pulses. But that's where that myth came from. And that is, that is what they use in gene therapy and cancer therapies, they, that, that, which is insanely amazing that they can have that refinement for cancer therapies. But unless you were hit with an electronic needle, it's it's not going to get into that nucleus and it's not going to hit that that DNA. You are you. Which you're you not going to be you. hit with an electronic needle. None of us no. are having electronic needles. You don't want Just that. FYI. What other myths do we have to bust? I've had COVID. I don't need the shot. That's untrue. <laughs> Why is that untrue? Because we don't know how long that COVID immunity is going to last. And so we're still recommending that people who've had COVID get the shot. Right. And we don't know, especially in kids who've had asymptomatic or very mild disease, if they had enough immune trigger to trigger those memory cells. Right. So we don't know. So that's where we are also having challenge with 
determining your antigen response because if you have really mild COVID or asymptomatic, you may not have triggered those memory cells. And if you don't trigger the memory cells, you don't have innate immunity. Uh, so get the shot. Do you want to talk a little bit about the variant? You know, I think the variant is interesting. We have, there's two main variants. One is from the UK, one is from South Africa. They both are affecting the spike protein. Variant that's coming from the UK, what it does is it makes the structure of the spike protein more effective to hit that ACE2 receptor and attach really tightly. So when we talk about the key and lock, let's say hypothetically you need 10 keys, they all turn, then all that viral RNA shoots into your cellular. Now you may only need one of those keys, okay? So that's why it's more contagious, is because it's more sticky, if you will, to that ACE2 receptor, so you need less of a viral load to be able to get infection. The UK makes it more sticky, but South Africa makes it slippery, meaning that if you do have antibodies against that spike protein, it's easier for them to slip off. That's why the monoclonal antibodies don't work, is because if you have those antibodies, it's gonna recognize that spike protein, but it's not gonna have the sticking power to keep it on then that spike protein still can find that ACE2 receptor and infect you. We get worried about vaccine compatibility because if we all have great antibodies, that's one thing. If, that's, if the target of that antibody gets really slippery and that antibody can't stick to it, that's a problem. The variants also matter with the kids. And this is when people are talking about like school next fall and school summer and all this kind of stuff, like how, why does this matter? The B117 specifically matters is because you have a big lock and key. If you have 10, if you need 10 keys to all turn in order for that DNA or RNA to get through, kids don't have as many ACE2 receptors, right? That's why they're not getting as sick. They just don't have as many. We get old and crusty like me and Nicole, we got a ton of them, right? Okay. Speak I mean, for yourself, friends. Okay. Fine. So I'm not crusty. Okay, you're not. She's, she's a spring chicken everybody that so if the kids only have a few ace receptors but now only takes one of those keys to turn the lock that's why it's more significant in kids that's why we're worried about it right and that's why we want everyone around our children and and our populations to get as vaccinated vaccinated as quickly as we can um and in order to do that i truly think it's going to be beyond what pfizer the gifts that pfizer has given us it's beyond the gift of what Moderna has given us. We need to have more vaccine. We need to have more education. We need to have more myth busting because this conversation is going to get more complicated right. as more things come to pass. And we need to know how to make these best decisions for our families. Someone's asking if any of the newer vaccines will be, will be available for children sooner. I don't think so because they didn't study them in children either. And, and the thing of it is, is I don't anticipate anything i don't anticipate anybody approving a vaccine for a child if it's not studied and so right now pfizer is ahead of that game mm -hmm. moderna is coming in second with that game and pfizer is going to start studying five to eleven year olds soon too so i think those vaccines are going to be in the forefront potentially 
and there are no fetal cells in these two vaccines. Those are two other myths that we keep seeing, and I'm just putting it out there. You can look on the FDA document that lists all the ingredients. It's not in there. Gosh, this hour went super fast. Time has flown. All right, friends. We will see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. See you, Nicole. See you. Later.